Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host, from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hi there and welcome. It's Lisa again. Not like it's ever going to be anyone else, right? Um, Actually, that's not true. I do have some interviews lined up, so they will be published this fall. Um... You know, I also, I don't just do this podcast. I actually listen to podcasts. I enjoy them. And last week, I had to take my son to school four out of the five days. And he doesn't go to school particularly close to here. Um, So I had more opportunity to listen to podcasts. Because I feel like I'm a dinosaur and that I'm one of the few people I know who actually listens to FM radio. But... You know, even that's hard to take some days with all the commercials and just bad music. Um, Maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. So anyway, I listen to podcasts and every time they're like, hey, can you please do this? Can you please do that? And I realize that I never ask that. But if you could take a moment and whatever podcast medium that you're using to find me, and I'm on most of them, I'm on iTunes and I'm on Pandora and Spotify, and Stitcher, and Google Play, you know, all all the major ones, and I think the minor ones too, but whatever you, however you found me, if you could please give me a review, um, all that does is help me get in front of more ears and eyes and parents, um, you know, these things all work on their own little algorithms, and for the most part, it's a vanity number, but if it has positive ratings, you know, we can reach more parents because I feel I've always felt that when we raise the bar for one child, we're raising the bar for all of them. And even though you're here because you're advocating for your own child, um, what you do today and tomorrow can also have an effect on the next kid. So please leave me a rating. I'd appreciate it. It is just a vanity number. Um, So, I do not have any more Ask an Advocate questions on my Google form. If you look back through old podcasts, you'll see where I announced it, and there will be a link to the form. I will try to dig that up and post it with this podcast as well, but if you have a burning question that you'd like to ask me, go ahead and do that. And keep in mind that I am getting better about my timeliness or my response time. Of course, I asked for questions and then I disappeared for about 60 days. Um, And that was due to my back problem, which I explained in another blog post about weighted blankets. If you can believe it or not, I was in extreme pain all spring and summer long, long story short. And then I, I was seeing doctors and specialists and doing all this stuff 
having procedures, scheduling more procedures, scheduling more procedures. And one day it dawned on me that maybe I should stop using my weighted blanket. And I did. And within two days I was back to normal. It was just crazy. So anyway, if you look up my post on weighted blankets, I have my full story there, but it's just a word of caution. But it also is why I was absent. It literally hurt me too much to sit down at the computer and then I ordered this thing to make my desk higher so that I could stand and and blog and do podcasts and it was really flimsy and I was afraid my laptop was going to fall on the tile floor and it was just a whole thing. But back to normal, I can sit, I can podcast, I can blog and all kinds of fun. So speaking of blogging, of course this podcast is an offshoot of my blog, A Day in Our Shoes. And I have, you know, how I choose what to write about a lot of it now, since the, the blog has been around a lot, much longer time. It's been around since 2011 and the Facebook group has been around, I don't even know how many years, but I base a lot of what I write and explain and talk about based on what I, you know, trends that I see either in my private business and and working with clients or, you know, the same question being asked over and over in the Facebook group. And one phenomena is that I will see an issue that parents really don't understand or need to understand, and they don't, which is fine. It's the IEP process is humongous and you can't, we, we can't know it all. Um, but it'll be a trend that I see. So I will take the time to explain it. And then the whole blog post falls just flat. It's just a dud and no one reads it. And I want you to read the posts for, for two reasons. One is that I get, I don't charge any money and I get paid by you being on the blog and looking at the ads on the blog. You don't have to click them or anything like that. You can if you want to. Um, But basically those ads that are in the posts is what pays to keep the blog running. Um, And it helps, you know, me justify the time that I spend blogging and podcasting and all that. But secondly, I mean, my, my true passion has always been explaining things for parents, helping them to understand this so that you can be a better advocate for your child. That's the bottom line is that we all want to be better advocates for our kids and knowledge is power. So I'll take the time to explain something and I want people to read it and they don't. And it's just a dud. And, you know, I look at the back end of the blog and like a whole 10 people have read it. And sometimes I'll re-edit it. I change graphics. I change headlines. I'll post it on Facebook a few times. I pin it. Um, I'll send it out in an email. I do all these things and I change it up and it's still a dud that no one wants to read. And I'm stubborn. If I want you to know something, just ask my husband. If I have something to say, I'm going to say it. So some of these I thought would make good podcast fodder, and I hope that they are valuable to you as a listener in your advocacy journey for your child, because they are, they are, I mean, I'm not just being cheeky here. They are important bits of information. So one of those 
blog posts that I just love. And even some of the group admins are like, you know, this is a great blog post, um, but it just continually falls flat is one that originally was called something along the lines of IEP thought hurdles, because that's how I viewed them. I viewed them as these hurdles that parents have that they needed to overcome before they could progress with their advocacy. And that, that was a dud of a concept. So I tried, I think, using the word misconceptions. That didn't work. And now I just went with some kind of almost clickbaity type headline of, you know, I bet you didn't know these things about your IEP, kind of baiting you hopefully to be like, well, what? What don't I know? And want to look it up. That still is falling flat despite my best efforts. So anyway... I'm going to leave it on the blog, of course, but I'm going to talk about some of those in upcoming podcasts. And really, if no one listens to them, and this time they finally fall flat, then I promise I will take the idea and, um, you know, put it in the blog post cemetery or graveyard and put it to rest. Um, but these are just misconceptions or their thought hurdles or their ideas or their concepts that parents have in their mind that just are not true or correct, or they don't understand it. And it really has, or what it really does is it just kind of changes your expectations and it gives parents expectations that they shouldn't have. And then ugh, there's sirens in the background. Um, and then when you have these expectations that the school is not obligated to fulfill, that just creates frustration all around and you get angry and then your behavior and your um, communication with them changes and so on and so on. Anyway, I want to get into one of those today and that is the, this concept of medical versus educational. And I'm not just talking about autism. You know, because people go, oh, I have a diagnosis of autism, but the school says he doesn't or vice versa. I'm not just talking about autism. I'm talking about, you know, life in these United States when you're dealing with the medical community versus the educational community. The expectations are not the same. The rules are not the same. The laws are not the same. Um... And what you find is that the IEP process and IDEA, that is, as you know, that's the federal law that governs us, that governs our kids, our families, our schools, our interactions with the schools, okay? That is the law, that is the system, that is the process I'm lisping, that is the process that we've been given as parents. If you have a child who needs special education, basically they hand you a big old bag of IDEA and that's what you get to handle this issue. That's it. And I'll be the first to admit and rant and rave and rage, even not just rant and rave, but rant and rage about how unfair the system is, how confusing it is and on and on and on. I'll be the first to acknowledge that it is a far from perfect system. However, 
It is the system that we have, and it's the only system that we can really use. So what that means is you cannot sue a specific person on the IEP team for damages, for starters. You can't sue your school, and that's one that I see a lot. Well, get a lawyer and sue them. It doesn't work like that. And if you go to, you know, let's just say you do this because you don't know any better, and you hire an attorney, and, and honestly, if you find an attorney who even takes your case, they shouldn't because that just tells you that they're completely uninformed about IDEA because any attorney worth their weight in sand will know that you take that that case between before a court and the court is going to say, have you gone to due process yet? Have you used IDEA? Have you used your procedural safeguards and all that? And if you haven't done that, he's just going to, he or she is just going to toss that back out and say, you got to go do that first. Okay. So it is the system that we have. It's not perfect, but it's what we have and it's what we have to use. You cannot sue IEP teams. The other thing is that there's no money to be made from this. You can't sue for damages. You can't get money for this kind of stuff. You can get comp ed, which is money that would be set up should should you win an amount of comp ed that's set up in an educational fund for educational purposes only. You can get that. Um, and that is to remediate your child for time when the school should have been appropriately educating them and weren't. That's what comp ed is. I have a blog post about that. And, and if you want to see comp ed, how you do that. But that also is awarded through either due process or a settlement agreement. Occasionally, it happens through an OCR complaint, but it's not common. And you really have to ha have someone who knows what they're doing as far as writing that OCR complaint. Um, but you, you just, you can't win damages like you can from say medical malpractice. So that's just another misconception that, that you have all these remedies cause you really don't. Um, another is that, I don't know how to, how do I want to explain this? A lot of time, not a lot. Occasionally in the group, we will hear from a parent who believes that her child at school is being abused by school staff and that the school staff person, whoever it is, a teacher, an aide, might be bullying the child, you know, it happens. But however this is transpiring, you know, it's, it's detrimental to the child's health and well-being and they don't want to go to school and on and on and on. Um, and just as frequently as that gets posted in the group, someone will say, will file a restraining order against that person. Um, which just always isn't an option. And it goes back to... Um, how do I explain, I want to explain this basically that like they're both state agencies. So if you want to call CPS 
or child services or whatever your state calls it. Generally, one state agency won't do a restraining order or it's just handled much differently if they have to do a restraining order against another state agency. So it's just handled very differently and it's not usually a fruitful way to to handle your complaint or your to resolve your issue. Um, you can certainly get a special education attorney and discuss it with them, but I, I just wouldn't run to CPS or the police and say, I want to file a restraining order against my, you know, my teacher or my son's aide. The other, let's see, another idea is that, let's see, what are, oh, um, HIPAA. HIPAA, I'm going to say this loud for the people in the back, HIPAA does not apply to the schools. If you want to know about privacy and educational records, look up FERPA, F-E-R-P-A, Federal Education Records, something, something. Oh, Privacy Act, that's what it is. Um, but it's not HIPAA. So I know that our country is HIPAA crazy, and I feel like I must sign like 10 HIPAA things a week. And HIPAA has been browbeat into us as a society, but it doesn't apply to schools. So there's no filing HIPAA complaints against teachers because, and I, I hear this in, in kind of like, even like a very casual reference in that, you know, a teacher, a parent finds out that a teacher was talking about something, you know, particularly their child, and right away it's file a HIPAA complaint. She's not allowed to do that. Well... I just don't want to see parents spin their wheels and waste your time. I know how valuable my time is and how little of it I have each day. So I don't want to see you spending hours or even days working on a HIPAA complaint and filing, figuring out how to file a HIPAA complaint and where and all that when it's not going to apply and you've just wasted your time. So HIPAA does not apply to schools. That is another way that educational world is very different from the medical world. Um, the, they're not just different medical and educational, they're very separate. And in the medical world, you know, kind of doctors are the king and what he or she says goes, and if they order it, it is to be right. Um, that doesn't work in a school. And just because you got your doctor to write down a prescription for something, does not mean that a school has to follow it. So if you're looking to make a case for a one-on-one -on -one aid or things like that, ABA therapy, um, and this is a mistake I've made myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I think back now to when Kevin was, a he literally was a toddler and the neurologist who we were seeing at the time, he was two or three years old, not the neurologist, Kevin. Um, but the doctor, the neurologist said, just tell them that he needs ABA, you know, as if it was that simple. Um, it's not. And just be in, and I even did get a letter stating that, you know, Kevin needed ABA. He's in an ABA program, but he, that's not because of that doctor's letter. Um, there's just different ways you have to go about demonstrating need and all that fun stuff. And that can be part of your argument. 
but just having a doctor's note or letter is not a guarantee of anything. And schools are under no obligation to implement something or add something to an IEP just because a doctor wrote that down. So again, I don't want you to have unrealistic expectations. I don't want you to waste your time doing another doctor's visit. I know for us to see specialists, you know, you have to wait and you go and I have to get childcare for the other kid and, and all this other stuff. You know, I just don't want you to get six weeks down the road and your bubbles totally burst because you proudly go in and hand in that letter and it does nothing because it likely will do nothing. Um, and then lastly, yes, medical versus educational diagnosis of autism or anything else is, is different. Um, schools do not diagnose. When the school evaluates your child, they are not diagnosing them with anything. They are finding them to either be eligible or ineligible for special education based on one of the classification categories. And that's really a mouthful for me to say with a mouthful of braces. But that's what they're doing. They're determining whether or not your child qualifies for special ed, and then they they choose, based on your state's regs and your state's criteria, they choose out of the 13 or 14 categories which one your child qualifies under. So if they have a medical diagnosis of autism, which means that you've seen a doctor who, you know, compared your child's medical evaluations against the DSM-5 and gave you a diagnosis, just because you have that doesn't mean that they will qualify for the educational classification. Okay, not everyone who has autism needs an IEP. Um, same with even, you know, an intellectual disability. I'm sure there are lots of people who went through the system, you know, not even knowing that they would have qualified for intellectual disability and just, you know, made it through. It happens. So one does not guarantee the other. The same with you know, they, the school might find that your child qualifies for that classification, but then you take them to a specialist and the doctor doesn't feel so. It's, it's a different set of criteria and you can read whatever, whatever diagnosis you're looking for or looking at, you can look up in the DSM-5 and then you can compare it to your state's criteria for qualifying for that. So those are just some of the ways that the educational model and the educational way of doing things differs from the medical model and it differs from, you know, the rest of the world, really. Um, again, I just don't want parents to have unrealistic expectations from their school because that just starts to lead to resentment because you're not getting what you're requesting and you think that your child is entitled to it when they may not be. And it just, it's, it just spirals downhill. It's not, it's not good for anybody. So I want to make sure that people are aware. Um, if you feel like reading this in detail, again, you can look up the blog post 
something about IEP thought hurdles, um, or you didn't, things that parents didn't know about IEPs, something like that is how it is on the blog. And take a look. Um, okay, please leave me a review. Um, actually, please leave me a four or five star review. And tune in next time. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group. Wait.